Well, we've now come to the last chapter of Second Chronicles, and it's also the last chapter in the history of the nation of Judah. So after this chapter, Judah never becomes a nation again. The people of Israel, they end up coming back to the land, but they never self-govern, except very briefly for, for a little period of time in the intertestamental period when the Greeks were in charge and the Maccabees revolt. And we'll talk about all of that in a few years when we get to the intertestamental books. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a sad chapter, but the Lord is in it. So let us read 2 Chronicles 36. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. The king of Egypt removed him from office at Jerusalem and fined the land a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. The king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. Necho took Jehoaz, his brother, and carried him to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did that which was evil in Yahweh his God's sight. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in fetters to carry him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried some of the vessels of Yahweh's house to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations which he did, and that which was found in him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place." Jehoiachin was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. At the return of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the valuable vessels of Yahweh's house and made Zedekiah his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did that which was evil in Yahweh his God's sight. He didn't humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from Yahweh's mouth. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Moreover, all the chiefs of the priests and the people trespassed very greatly after all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted Yahweh's house which he had made holy in Jerusalem. Yahweh, the God of their fathers, sent to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until Yahweh's wrath rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought on them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or grey head, he gave them all into his hand. All the vessels of God's house, great and small, and the treasures of Yahweh's house, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. They burned God's house, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all of its valuable vessels. He carried those who had escaped from the sword away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill Yahweh's word by Jeremiah's mouth, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, 
as long as it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that Yahweh's word by the mouth of Jeremiah, Jeremiah might be accomplished, Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given all the kingdoms of earth to me, and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, Yahweh, his God, be with him and let him go up. So that's the end of 2 Chronicles 36. We've just been through the last four kings in this one short chapter. It's only 23 verses, I think. Four kings in that period of time. We've got the son of Josiah, and that is Jehoahaz. And he only lasts three months, and he's taken away to Egypt. His brother, Eliakim, is renamed Jehoiakim. And then he's in charge for 11 years, and he gets taken away to Babylon. Then his son, Jehoiachin, gets, becomes the king. So you get Jehoiakim and his son, Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin ends up getting taken away to Babylon too a separate time. So the Babylonians come multiple times, and initially they are just like letting the kingdom run itself, but just basically saying, we're your boss, you pay us money, tribute, and we'll leave you manage. So they're like... Um, you know, tribute-type kings. But eventually, um, the, the fourth of the kings, Zedekiah, he stops paying the tribute, so the Babylonians come the fourth time, and this time they say, we've had enough, we're sick of puppet kings, we're just going to wipe this place out and be done with it, and they do. And then they're taken away to Babylon properly, and that's when the land has its 70 years rest, and we'll get to that in a minute. So of these four kings, you've got Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. The last, the first is taken away to Egypt. The other three are taken away to Babylon successively, one by one. And um, Jehoiachin, he's the one that the Bible says, not here but in the book of Kings, that he dined at the king's table and was given an allowance as long as he lived. And some people have scoffed at that, but there's archaeology now that's been discovered which shows that, yeah, he was given a, a, an allowance and he actually got to live in the king's palace. That's very, very unusual. And, um, but that particular king, King Jehoiachin, he's in the line that goes down to Jesus Christ. Whereas the one, two of the kings here, um, Jehoahaz, the first son of Josiah, he's taken away to Egypt. He's not in the line of Christ. His brother, Jehoiakim, is in the line of Christ. His son, Jehoiachin, is in the line of Christ. The next king, Zedekiah, is a brother, not in the line of Christ. So of these last four kings, two of them are in the line that goes down to Jesus, and two of them are not in the line that goes down to Jesus. And the one that was taken away to Babylon and was given a pension and looked after, that is amazingly the Lord preserving his line until it goes down to Jesus. Because usually when you take a king away, <laughs> uh, they don't treat them very good. They do all sorts of things to them. And that's what happens to Zedekiah. They you know, gouge his eyes out and do nasty things to him. But they don't do it to Jehoiachin. They look after him and the line goes down to Jesus. Now, the prophet Jeremiah said, we're going to get to him, but he said that because... Um, the Lord was angry with Judah. They hadn't followed his ways and the Lord was going to exile them for 70 years. 
and that's exactly how long they were exiled. That's a very specific prophecy. And uh, the reason for that is because when they were in the land, they were supposed to follow the law of the, the law of God, the first five books. There were lots of things they were supposed to do, but one of the things they were supposed to do was they were only supposed to harvest for six years, but the seventh year they were supposed to let the land have a break, and that was a Sabbath year. So they had a weekly Sabbath where every week they'd have a day of rest, but every seventh year they would give the land rest. They were supposed to, but they didn't. And so over a long period of time, like 490 years of living in the land, they've, the land didn't have a break, and it accumulated the equivalent of 70 years of break that was, was supposed to have had that it didn't have. And so that's why the Lord picks this number 70. So this is all very, very interesting. The, the numbers 7, 70, and 490 are all super interesting, not just here, but right through the whole Bible. So they are in the land, the equivalent of 490 years, but the land doesn't get 70 years of break. So now Jeremiah send, tell, says to them, you're going to be exiled for 70 years. So that makes up for the 70 years that the land didn't have a break. So the land now gets a break. So then they're going to come back to the land. And when they come back to the land, that's when Daniel the prophet gets a, a word from the Lord that says, from the time that the decree is issued to rebuild the city until the time the Messiah comes and is cut off, except it didn't call him the Messiah, call him the anointed one. It said it would be 490 years. So there's that 490 again. And um, interestingly, when Jesus was walking around on earth, one of the disciples, I think it was Peter, said to him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says to him, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490. <laughs> so this... These numbers, they keep popping up and they're in the prophecies. And when you examine the history, the history happened exactly to the years that were said. And some people say, oh, the Bible isn't, the, the prophecies of the Bible are made up. But these particular prophecies, the, the chance of someone making up a number like, you know, after 490 years, the Messiah is going to come and then be cut off. Like, and if you add up from the time that that happened till the time that Jesus died on the cross, it's 490 years. And you think to yourself, people can't make that stuff up. It's incredible and it's interesting. And what it shows us right here at the end of 2 Chronicles 36 is that it looks like the nation has gone down and down and down and looks like that they've failed. And yet the Lord is in it. The Lord is doing something. <laughs> and I want to read to you this last paragraph of my notes right here because I think, I think it's a good kind of summary of the whole of the book of, well, of the whole of the history of Israel up to this point. One of the biggest amazements we have in Scripture is how the will of God and the purposes of God come about despite people. If this was an invented history, like if we were making up a story, it would be like other invented histories which would ignore the failings and highlight all the good points. But instead, the scriptures are honest about the failings of Israel. And they end up suffering the same fate as the Canaanites. I mean, you think about that. God brings them into the promised land. The Canaanites have been so evil, he's got to remove them out of the land. But the Israelites are then just as bad or even worse, and the Lord has to remove them out of the land. So it's kind of like a history that's real. 
God's own people are as bad as the other people. (laughs) And they fail. And yet, somehow, through all of that story of failing, Christ comes to redeem humanity. And all the pictures and the symbols, the Passover, and all the things, all the, the Lord's dealings and the prophets, somehow it all carries a faulty nation and, and faulty people, and it brings them to Christ. Somehow the Lord redeems his people, even though his people are completely unredeemable, and all people are just a lost cause. And yet, because of Christ, there's no lost cause. It's one of the most remarkable things about Bible and salvation history is how people fail over and over and over again. Yet somehow, the Lord does what he says he's going to do. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> anyway, tomorrow we move on. Ezra... Nehemiah, Esther, some great stuff ahead of us. Lord, I want to thank you for salvation history. I thank you despite the failings of people that, Lord, you are perfect in all your ways. Lord, you're just. You're the God of generations. Lord, people come and people go, but you remain and you're so faithful. I thank you. You never let anyone down. And we throw ourselves into the arms of the Lord today. And we thank you. You're our God. In Jesus' name, amen.